0: And we're going to continue in our study in First Timothy. You can turn to First Timothy chapter four. I want to remind us that last week, if you weren't here, uh, we the message was really bringing things back to the basics. Everyone say back to the basics. And we were looking at the fundamentals, the mission, and the message of the gospel. And we said last week that Jesus is our pillar. He's our foundation. He is the living God, the one that we can trust. He's the one that became a man and was vindicated by the Spirit and seen by angels, preached throughout the nations. People believed in him, and then he was taken in to glory. And I'll tell you, I think at the end of service last week, as we responded, for those of you that were here and uh, were part of that, um, I think that we uh, did indeed, like I said last week, we kind of put uh, the devil in his place, amen? And we took, uh, we took authority in saying, God, we believe in you, our risen Savior. But I want to remind us that everything that we do must be rooted in that truth. That Jesus is our living God. And uh, the result of that is we continue through First Timothy, week in and week out, I believe that we will be growing as a body. As we bring the word and as we base it on the truth, and we are rightly dividing to the best of our knowledge. And uh, it helps us along in our journey. Our goal is each and every week that you're here, that there's a a, a growth inside of you. And the growth comes, yes, you can learn to teach or learn to study God's word perhaps better. But ultimately, there should be, we pray, a growing desire, a growing love for the word of God. Because ultimately, it's the word of God that changes us from the inside out. And so as we move into chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, uh, really a discussion of the demonic forces that come against that truth, that come against that foundation. I want to remind us that Paul is still dealing with Timothy's role in the church. He's still dealing with the error that uh, Timothy is facing and how Timothy can set it right. He's giving Timothy this incredible strength. This letter would have been an incredible encouragement. In the first five verses, uh, Timothy uh, Paul deals with those who have drifted from that foundation, from that sound doctrine, and we're going to get there today. And then next time we meet, uh, verses 6 through 16, we're going to look at what kind of person it takes to deal with and uh, the, the, those that have drifted, and how to have the strength to counterattack the attacks of the enemy. How many ever wonder, boy? You feel defeated. You feel down. And you wonder what can I do? What kind of things uh, are needed to come against the enemy's plans? Well, next time together we're going to look at that. And uh, but today we're going to focus on the first five verses. And if uh, you should be there, hopefully in First Timothy chapter four, verses one through five, would you stand and let's honor God's word? It gets a little of the wiggles out maybe before we before we. Uh, get into the message fully. Let's look. Actually, we're going to go back a couple verses to chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. I'm sorry, 14 uh, through... I'm sorry, let's see here. Yeah, yeah, 14. Uh, I want to kind of encapsulate last week's message and bring a tie to this week. Look what it says. It says, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Ever says, amen, the pillar, the foundation of truth. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. And that mystery, we said last week, is Jesus, our risen Savior, the one living. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. And now verse four or chapter 4. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith, what we just talked about, that faith in Jesus, well, some will abandon that faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars, those whose conscience have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything created that God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you how week in and week out we can dive in, we can learn, we can be stretched. And God, that you can use your word to transform our lives And so we put our faith in you, God. We put our hope in you. And Lord, I pray even today as we talk about the standard of God's word and the importance of that, God, that it would just ring true in every person's heart and life. We pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. My goal this morning is to walk through these five verses, kind of verse by verse. And certainly a key, or really the theme in these five verses, is seen in verse 1, when it says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving uh, spirits and things taught by demons. That idea of an abandoning of the faith, that some, not all, but some, some like Judas and Demas, we'll see here in a minute, or some like the disciples in John chapter 6 that said, this, this word is too hard, and they walked away. Some will depart from, will walk away from the faith. The term, theologically, that is around that, that kind of describes that, is apostasy. Is that right, Bobby? Did I say that right? Apostasy? It describes a purposeful, intentional, deliberate departure from a former position. So when we read this, this is not something that happens unintentionally. This is not describing someone who is just struggling with their faith or has some doubt or has some questions, but purposefully walks away from truth and now adheres to a different teaching another teaching apostasy and it's motivated by the devil and we'll see that as we get into that interestingly throughout the old testament and through the new testament through the history of israel uh, whether you're dealing with the church history uh, or even in today's culture there has always been a battleground church between God and His truth, and the devil and His lies. It, there's always this, there's this warfare, and people have and will be lured away from the truth, from the foundation. Because of the enemy's hellish lies. And that's just the truth of the matter. uh, The devil is out to seek and destroy. He wants to draw us away. Now, I want to remind you that Paul is writing to Timothy at Ephesus. We've said that each week, where this kind of thing was happening. People were being lured away. People were falling away. In fact, look at chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. When we started this whole journey, we looked at this. It says, As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to what? To myths and to endless genealogies. These promote controversies. Uh, rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You'll see the tie there in a little bit. Verse 7, they want to be teachers. I'm sorry, verse 6. Some have wandered away from these and have turned to meaningless talk, meaningless chatter. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We see in verses 18 and 20 in the same chapter that it tells us that these believers that walked away were apostate. They were shipwrecked. They shipwrecked their own faith. They departed from truth and they should be delivered, according to Paul, to Satan to learn, not to blaspheme. It's interesting. And in verse 1, the Spirit clearly says that people will abandon their faith again. People that once were in the truth and now have walked away. Now the question here is, can a believer lose his or her salvation? Can a believer really turn and walk away from the faith? And I don't know where you stand theologically, but I see in Scripture... There are, there's, there are ways that that is possible. And that can be troubling for some. It can be scary for others. Now, I don't want you to read this and think that one day you're in and the next day you're out, uh, or you, you, know, you make a mistake and you, you sin in some certain way, and God's up, up there with some big hammer up in heaven, and like, boom, you're out, and then you kind of come back to the Lord. No, I don't think it's like that. But I do see in scripture that you can turn from God's grace and walk away. You say, "Well, where do you see that?" Well, there's a few different places. Turn with me to 2nd Peter chapter 2. And I want to just look at a couple of these. uh, Because what we see here is, in this case, that it would be better to have never become a Christian than to respond and follow Christ and then turn away. And we'll talk about why here in a second. But look at it in verse 20 and 21. It says, If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So, in other words, they knew salvation, they had experienced Christ, and are again entangled in it, the world, and over come they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning verse 21 it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them you say why would that be the case if you knew christ and then you walked away why would it have been better if you would have never surrendered in the first place well because we will be judged by what we know. And if one t- at one point you knew the gospel, and then you turned and you insulted God, like Hebrews 10, 26 through 30 says, or you trampled on the blood and you turned away from the Lord, it would have been better off if you would have never surrendered in the first place. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4 as well. And we see a similar idea here and, uh, of an insult. And Demas here, uh, he walks away from the truth. Look at it. Uh, it says, do your best to come to me quickly. Verse 9, for Demas, because he loved the world, because he got caught up in the things of the world, he has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. He left. And so Paul is saying here to uh, Timothy, saying, Hey, come quickly. Uh, Do your best to come because Demas has walked away. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 12, it says that the love of most will grow cold. The idea is that some will fall away. And you say, Well, why would anyone fall away once they know the truth? The reason is. Because there are false teachers. In fact, there are many false teachers, and the scripture is clear in the New Testament. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. We'll start there, and then we're going to just hit a few of these verses. I'm going to move quickly. You may want to jot these down. But scripture, there's a major warning in the New Testament, church, that is talking about false teachers. And so let's look at it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 says this, "Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves." In Matthew chapter 24, in a few verses later there, uh, we see in uh, verse 4 it says Jesus answered, "Watch out that one that no one deceives you." For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and they will deceive many. At the end of that chapter, uh, or close to the end, verse 24 says, For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if they that were possible see that i've told you this ahead of time in second peter chapter 2 verse 1 it says this but there were also false prophets among the people just as there will be false teachers among you see the pattern here first john chapter 4 First john chapter 4 verse 1 dear friends do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God why because many false prophets have gone out into the world if you turn over one page or maybe two to second john verse 7 it says many deceivers who do not know or do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh, have gone out into the world. There are people that don't believe in the name of Jesus that are teaching a false doctrine. One more, Jude verse 11, I'm sorry, verse 18. Look what it says. It says, they said to him, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly Desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. There are false teachers. We're warned about it throughout the New Testament. But what's crazy is that there are many who maybe read that, but don't take it to heart. Or there may be many that are just ignorant, without discernment. Church, if I can encourage you in one thing, and this is going to be the big point of the day we'll get there, is that we should be like the Berean church that Scripture talks about, that they studied the Scripture daily to see what was being shared, if it was the truth, if it lined up, if it was sound doctrine. Now, back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. It says that they were following these deceiving spirits. Let's look at it, what it says there. They abandoned their faith and followed deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. What we see here is the source. And what's interesting is that all false religion and idols are rooted in demon doctrine. And they're energized by demon spirits. False religions and teaching. John MacArthur says it's a playground of demons. Satan disguised as an angel of light. Apostasy is. Demon seduction when people would fall away, turn away from sound doctrine. And the source, it's supernatural. Church Ephesians chapter six talks about it. That our battle is not against flesh and blood, but what against principalities, rulers of the dark age. The devil traffics in lies, but it's there's a there's a supernatural component. It's not a human enterprise, and because of that, it's so dangerous. And because of that, we've got to be aware, and we've got to be careful. The pastor that, that I mentioned that was with us this weekend uh, uh, in Lansing, uh, Pastor John Lindell, I've heard him say that you that there are people that will say, you know, in regards to reading things or studying different, uh, different theology, they, they'll say something like this, well, I'm just going to chew up the meat or eat the meat and what? Spit out the bones. You heard of that before? And I really like what Pastor John says. He says, you shouldn't have bones in your mouth because eventually you're going to choke. It's too risky. It's not worth the risk. And so we've got to be careful what we allow into our lives. It's too risky. How many have heard uh, back in, when I was two years old in 1978, how many remember or maybe you've heard of Jim Jones and the People's Temple? The background for Jim Jones, I did some history on study on that this week. He started as a communist and then he got lured into the church somehow, ended up on staff at a Methodist church for several years, and then branched off on his own, founded the church in 1955, and the church began to grow. And by the mid 1970s, so 15 to 20 years later, they had 12 locations. By all indications, things were going well. There was momentum. God It appeared, was moving, and the tragic date, November 18th, 1978. You've heard about it, or maybe you haven't. The single largest suicide killing in a single deliberate act in American history prior to September 11th was right there. Over 900 people lost their lives. Mass murder, mass suicide. And it started with orthodoxy and then they got a little off track and all of a sudden hundreds of people lost their lives in second john chapter or verse 8 through 11 it says uh, and i'll just start uh, in seven many deceivers who do not acknowledge jesus christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world any such person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked for, but that you may be fully rewarded, rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ, listen, does not have God. So if you veer off and you you leave God behind, you don't have the Lord in you. Um, whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Verse 10. If anyone comes to you, listen, and does not bring this teaching founded in Christ, the the pillar, the foundation of truth, right? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house and welcome him. Do not just chew on the meat and spit out the bones. Do not entertain false teaching if it's off, you reject it. You walk away. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wreck or in his wicked work. In church, our goal is to protect you from those types of things. It's too risky. Jim Jones was a false teacher and maybe an extreme. I get that. But the question I have is, who are these people, right? What are they like, these false teachers, that they would be able to deceive and to deceive so many? Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2, and we see some insight here. We won't take the time to read, but verses 1 through 18, uh, and really uh, even through the end of that chapter, we see a study, really, of false teachers and their destructive ways. In verse 1, we see that false teachers are subtle, they're sneaky in verse two they're shameful verse three they are greedy verse ten they are bold and arrogant Verse 14, their eyes are full of adultery. Uh, later in verse 14, again, they're greedy. They're doing it for a means, a way to make money. Jim Jones, uh, in his story, he noticed that there, was in, in, uh, there were people that were being healed and being touched by God, and he exploited that. He, he, he went out and looked and said, how does that happen? And they tried to reproduce that without Christ. And he did that because he knew that it would gain a crowd, that there would be momentum. Jim Jones, he was a false teacher. Verse 17, uh, they're a big disappointment. In verse 18, what happens, and, and let's just look at verse 18. For, their, for they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those Who live in error. In other words, it's pop theory. It's it's saying things that people want to hear. And they're appealing to the sinful nature. And ultimately, these false teachers are not just clever men and women, but there's a demonic force that is driving it, whether they know it or they don't. It's carried out by human agents, but the source is supernatural. But the seduction happens at a human level, and that's why it's so tricky. That's why it's so sneaky. It appears to be religious, that they're teachers or priests or religious leaders of one kind or another, that's good on the outside. They may be devoted. They may wear the right clothes or beads or robes or whatever. Uh, They may appear to be pure in motive. And because of that, discernment is needed. And none of us are exempt. We can't let someone else discern for us. We've got to discern ourselves. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 15 and 16. Watch out for false prophets. I read that earlier. For they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. But then it gives us a clue. It says, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do Pick, do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. By their fruit, church. And so we've got to examine, we've got to study, we need to be aware. And it's so important. You say, well, what kind of people are these? These are people that are being motivated by the enemy. And in verse 2 of 1 Timothy, Chapter uh, 4, verse 2, it says that they are hypocritical liars. Look, look what it says. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. In the Greek, there, that hypoc- hypocritical liar means to be an actor on a stage, super spiritual. That there's always a special blessing. That the Lord told them this and the Lord told them that. And they're constantly uh, looking for for the the super spiritual. But they're hypocritical. They're actors. You say, well, how does anyone do this? Well, it says they're liars. And in verse 2, it gives us a clue that their conscience has been seared. That word seared is, means it's been cauterized, seared beyond normal function. Our conscience is the sensitivity to right and to wrong, am I right? It's the sensitivity to truth and integrity. But these false teachers have been duped, and they may not even know it in some cases. And there are examples all around us today, false teachers, and you say, well, give me a list, right? Well, I'm not going to give you a list this morning, but I want to encourage you to understand God's word. And I believe that God can reveal false teachers to any of us. Now in Ephesus, in first Timothy's time, they were teaching some weird things. So let's look at it. Verse three, four, and five says, they, they said they forbid people to marry in order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth for every good or every thing God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and by prayer so in that time they're talking about celibacy saying look you don't have to be married or it's not good to be married and you say well that doesn't line up with the rest of scripture In many cases, it was an external religion. Ways to be more spiritual. Self-denial resulting in more spirituality. Human achievement instead of godliness, true godliness. And it was subtle. There was, in that time, this idea that the spirit is good and anything of matter, anything you can touch or, or feel, anything physical, was evil. But well, that's not what God's Word says. And so we get to the problem here in verses 3 through 5. That the truth is it's not our efforts that will save us. The truth is we should receive all things from God with thanksgiving. Everything created by God is good. And so the error, the problem, is that you wouldn't be thankful for that. Or the error is that there would be a failure to understand That the good or a failure to believe the truth of God's word, that's what the word is saying. And then you say, well, man, when is that going to happen? And then I want to bring you back to verse one of chapter four. It says, the spirit clearly says that in the latter times, some will abandon the faith. The latter days. And some of you are thinking, well, that's got to be something in the future, right? Something far off, a long time in the, into the future. Well, the Bible in the New Testament has a lot to say about latter times. I want to show you a, a few examples. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18, says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Verse 19, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. To us. The idea there is that the, the time, uh, the, the latter times is now. First Peter chapter one, uh, First Peter chapter one uh, says something similar in verse two, or I'm sorry, in verse 20, look what it says, it says, "He was chosen, that's Jesus, before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake." When Jesus arrived, the latter times began. A couple other places, Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. I know I'm going through a lot of verses here. Maybe you want to write these down and study these later. It says In the past, God spoke to the forefathers through the prophets, that many times, uh, at many times and in various ways. But, verse 2, in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. Chapter 9, verse 26, the last place we'll turn here, and then we'll uh, bring some commentary. It says, then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. I read these verses because they show us, they tell us that the last times were after Jesus came to the earth. And so today, yes, We are living in the latter days, in the last days. When Jesus came, it began. And I believe when Christ returns, the last days will cease. So you say, well, how do we protect ourselves? How do I protect my family, my kids, my spouse? How do we protect our friends? Or how do we protect our church? How do we sniff out, so to speak, the counterfeit? If there's going to be these false teachers, how do we do that? And some might say, well, you study the counterfeit. You go and you study those false religions to make sure what they are. And I would say that may not be the best way to go about it. I believe that we need to study the real thing. Just like a good banker being trained, what do they do? They don't give a banker a bunch of false uh, counterfeit money to, to learn from, to identify real bills. What do they do with a banker that's learning how to count money or how to handle money? They put the real thing in their hands. And they've had so much of the real in their hands that when something doesn't feel right, Then when something doesn't seem right, a red flag goes off and then they can investigate. And I think it's the same thing within the church. If we are so immersed, we know the word from inside and out to the best of our ability, that when something comes along that doesn't make sense, doesn't feel right, doesn't sense there's something in your spirit, a red flag goes. And then... You can investigate like the Berean church. But if you don't know the word, you would believe just about anything. And it's not because you're a bad person or gullible. It's just the demonic forces at work. And they're subtle and they're tricky. And if we're not careful, it can take any of us. Now, as we wrap up today, there's a couple thoughts that I have. The first thought is that not all preachers of the gospel are preachers of the gospel. And I know some of you are thinking, what are you talking about? Well, if someone's on national programming or on the radio or internet or on cable or they have their own church, maybe even in our area, they're in the spotlight just because someone uh, uses the Bible on occasion does not mean they're preaching the Word. And because of that, we have to be discerning. All of us need to be discerning. The Jim Jones or how many remember the, the Gateway cult? In fact, some people have said, you know your name's uh, you know, the Gateway Church? That, wasn't that a cult? They all wore Nike shoes and laid down in the bed and they were waiting for the mothership, right? How many remember that? Yeah, I do. And uh, we are not that cult, all right? We're, we're, we're focused on God's Word, right? But these things will come and they'll go. And just because someone has a platform and they're speaking and maybe have some momentum does not mean that they're preachers of the true living God. And so we've got to be careful. The second thing, and I think it may be even more important, is we need to realize that we are in the last days. Jessica and I were talking about that this week, you know, with the world and ISIS and the corruption, uh, government and different things, or you look at the weather patterns and natural disasters, or you look at the false teachings that are rampant, The reality is we are living in the last days, and Scripture says we need to be discerning. We need to search the Scripture. We need to stand for truth. We need to know the Word of God. You say, well, is it really that important? And I say, absolutely. There's nothing more important in our lives than knowing the truth because there are things in this world that will come across our plates that will seek to draw us away. One example, just this week, in the Blade, which is the Grand Haven High School uh, publication that comes out uh, once a, I'm not sure how often, is it just once a month or once a week? You're not sure? This one says November 20th, so just this week came out. And right on the beginning, right it's got a, uh, a couple hands making a heart, isn't that great? It's got the rainbow flag, and it says one love, with a prominent LGBTQ plus community, students must be educated on their fellow classmates. And you turn uh, to page 15, and on the very beginning, it says, Know your LGBTQ t- or TQ plus. And then there's three articles. The real state of the equality of this community in the law. So they're bringing that in- information. A guide to understanding what what lgbtq really is because you know all kids should know right and then the third which caught my attention and reagan and i were talking about this and it's the controversial debate of religion and its role in love and you go to that article and what's interesting is it's a it's a, it's a debate or uh, they take two christians within the community at Grand Haven High School, this last in, in this paper. And it says two Christians with two different beliefs of the Bible's view of LGBTQ plus relationships. And they take a more conservative look, uh, this guy named Ryan, and then a girl named Haley, and they kind of go through this article talking about their beliefs of what the Bible says is true. How could two people using the same source have two completely different theologies? One has been deceived. And they go on and they go through the article and it's really subtle. And it says, uh, the, the girl that, that, that says she's a devoted Christian, well, she says this, while she believes in the Bible... She also believes in love. What does that mean? See, it's very subtle. goes on. She says, I'm the kind to go with the flow person, to do what you love. I think some people just uh, aren't, that, aren't that way. They are very firm to their religion, and that's how it has to be. I also believe in freedom, the freedom of people. The counterpart, the, the gentleman, the Ryan, that sa- says that Christians who believe love is love have not read the Bible enough. And so it's this debate right in our high schools, right in our community goes on. It says, it's time for them to revisit the Bible, which I would agree is true. God clearly states that marriage is between man and woman. That's why he created Adam and Eve. And it goes on, to st- and he, he kind of describes it in the, in the word, how it describes. And he says, considering the Bible's been around for 2,000 years, he says, I'm not going to change. So I'm not going to ch- change. It's not going to change. So I'm not going to change. And boy, I want to write this guy a note and say, thank you for standing up for good, sound doctrine. Because love, when you study that in Scripture, is not a, okay, I'll turn my eye to the sin. (coughs) Love brings the sin to the front and confronts it and brings healing. And yes, we love anybody, but we are going to hold people accountable a battle of two beliefs. And you say, that's right in our community. That's what our students, you may have the debate at your work. And listen, as you talk about hot topics that we are discussing or that are in our culture, please be sure that your comments are rooted in Scripture. The standard has to be the Word. Parents, we have a huge responsibility to teach and to train and to guard against false doctrine in our society, in our homes. And what's interesting is it really hit me home. It hit home this week, this whole topic I was studying about false doctrine and and different things. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, we were talking on the phone. I don't talk with him very often. Um, He's I would kind of describe him as kind of a super spiritual type. Um, he he like to an extreme has kind of been the name it claim it type person. He's always you know calling things this and that and and uh, I would say he's super spiritual. And uh, he's served for years in worship and in outreach and and he, he's you know and I would say God has used him. And uh, but his views on Scripture historically we've not always seen eye to eye. And I would say that uh, some of his theology was somewhat shaky. Well, what's crazy is that the week that I'm studying this, I get him on the phone and we're talking about something different. And I said, well, how are you really doing? And he says, you know, Ben, he says, I don't believe in God anymore. He says, me and God, we're not on good terms. And as we dove into what was happening in his life, He's describing that he's served and he's done all these things for God and he's listing all these things. And he can't believe that at this point in their lives for his family that God would allow his wife, which she is, to suffer the way that she is. And somewhere along the way, false doctrine that if you do this, this, and this, that God is going to respond like a genie in the bottle has crept into his thinking and it's corrupted him and he's turned away, at least at this point, and he's walked away. Apostasy. I, I was shocked. I, couldn't be, I can't believe it. Deliberately walking away and knowing it and even communicating it and I'm saying, God, help us. Help us to have good, sound doctrine where we can stand firm even in the hardest times. I think of the Hardy family, and I didn't ask you if I hope it's okay. You know, they for eight years, nine years now, their daughter, uh, after an accident, has been uh, bound, not able to move, not able to walk, not able to communicate with her mouth, and I look at your example and I'm thankful for that there's people that were rooted in the faith and haven't walked away. And uh, and God bless you guys and your family. You're great examples. But it's because they were rooted in the faith. and I'm, And that's what we want. We want to be strong and we want to make it, don't we? We want our kids to make it. We want our families. We want our our neighbors and our our relatives to make it. But it's got to be rooted in Scripture. I'm not sure where you are today. Maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you've been considering walking away. And I just want to encourage us all that if you're not in the Word, if you don't know the Word and are growing in the Word, every week you're doing yourself a disfavor. You've got to be in the Word. It's got to be a priority. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank You for this morning. We thank You, God, that You are a gracious God. You're not quick to just throw us under the bus, to dismiss us, Lord, You're full of mercy and Your saving power is greater than any of our minds could imagine. But Lord, I pray that today there would be a resolve in this place to be committed to truth. To not to allow winds of doctrine, winds of contemporary thinking to affect us but Lord, that we would be deeply rooted in the faith. And God, I pray that when winds come, when tragedy strikes, when finances are tough, when relationships are on the rocks, God, that we would turn to you and we would hold on to the foundation, to the pillar, to the foundation of our faith based in the gospel message that Jesus, you are everything. And Lord, I pray that we'd be careful and that we'd be full of love and that but we would be full of truth and that we'd speak the truth in love when we are called upon to do so. I pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.